You're listening to the Mission Church Podcast. Each message comes from our Sunday morning gatherings where we worship in community, study God's Word, and grow in our faith together to the glory of Jesus Christ. The Mission Church is committed to helping each person belong and believe and to equip them to embrace the call of God upon their life. We pray these messages will build your faith and encourage you today. Well, we are going through the Bible verse by verse in the book of Genesis, and it's been a great study. Uh, We're looking at this man right now uh, named Abram, and God made a covenant with him, a covenant that uh, still applies today. It's an everlasting covenant. It's a covenant that is affecting our world today. It's why we have the nation Israel after 2,000 years of despair, uh, being dispersed all over the earth. God brought them back, 1948. That covenant still stands. Israel's a nation today. And God made this covenant with one man. His name was Abraham. And he said, hey, look, I'm going to give you blessings. I'm going to give you a homeland. I'm going to give you a child. That child will become a great nation. And ultimately, the Messiah will come through your lineage. And through you, Abraham, every person on earth will be blessed. That could only happen through the Messiah. And so we see this covenant, and it's been now 30 years since God made this covenant, as we pick up here in in Genesis 21. 30 years has gone by. Uh, We saw Abram last week, two weeks ago, make a big mistake. God had told him, hey, this time next year, he had been waiting 25 years, this time next year, it's going to happen. Sarah's going to have a son. That was a big shock, man, because Sarah had gone through menopause. Abraham was impotent. That was like a big shock. And Abraham just laughs with joy. Oh, my gosh, God, you're so good. And God says, yes, and you're going to call his name laughter, Isaac. And uh, you're going to have a son. After that incredible experience, Abraham does something crazy. He goes down to a place called Gerar. It's a Philistine city. And there he lies. Uh, he, we talked about this two weeks ago, the sins we struggle with. Abraham struggled with this sin. And he lies. And amazingly, uh, God protected him, right? Uh, he goes and, and uh, he tells this king, uh, his name was Abimelech. He tells this king, she's my sister. Sarah was a beautiful woman. He was afraid that the king would take her and kill him. So he, he lies, right? And uh, amazingly, God puts a plague on the entire town of Gerar. And uh, you'll have to go back and listen if you want to know what that plague was, but uh, interesting plague. And, and God appears to uh, Abimelech in a dream, and he says, Abimelech, the king of Gerar, you're a dead man if you touch that woman. And Abimelech says to God, God, I didn't know she was another man's wife. He told me, she told me. They were, that was his sister. And he says, I know you did this in the integrity of your heart, and I'm the one who kept you back from sinning against me by going into her. And uh, he says, now go have Abraham pray for you, and he's going to bless you. And so he has that lying Abraham pray for him. And God removes the plague that's on the town, and Abimelech sends him out with great wealth with sheep, with oxen, with silver, with all kinds of wealth, with manservants, uh, female servants, and 
And he sends them out and Abraham goes and he says, you can dwell anywhere in the land that you want to dwell. Just get out of here. And so Abraham leaves and he goes down to a place called Beersheba. That's where we're picking it up today. And here in Beersheba, uh, we saw last week, uh, you know, the son is born. Uh, Isaac now grows. He's now three years old. Uh, Sarah weans Abraham, excuse me, weans Isaac, and, uh, <laughs> and, the, and Abraham throws a big party. And Ishmael, the son of the flesh, persecutes the son of the spirit. Ishmael persecutes and mocks and ridicules Isaac. And Sarah says, he's got to go, he's got to go. And Abraham prays, and God says, yes, Abraham, he has to go. For the son of the flesh has no inheritance with the son of the promise, the son of faith. And it's an allegory. It's a picture. There was nothing wrong with Ishmael in of himself. I believe we'll see him in heaven. But God said, no, 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 no. The son of the flesh cannot inherit the things of God. And we have to learn that as Christians, don't we? That we cannot walk in the flesh. We have to walk in the spirit. And we walk in the spirit by faith and and. He says, cast out the son of the flesh. So he did. And now we come to this story and we pick up right where we left off in verse chapter 21, verse 22. And we're going to see Abimelech, the king, comes back to Abram. How were, what was the relationship like when Abraham left? What was the tension like? It was high, right? You lied to me. You caused these problems on my kingdom. And uh, they weren't on really good terms. And now Abimelech comes back and they have a, a confrontation. And so the title of the message this morning is Tools for Great Relationships. And you're going to see some amazing tools in this story for you to have great relationships with people in your life. And uh, a lot to go into. So let's pray and let's jump in. Lord, as we open your word right now, we are excited to hear from you. We've come to worship you in song, Lord. You are worthy of all of our praise. But Jesus, you are the Lord of our life. And Lord, we need your specific direction for how we're to do life. So Lord, we open your word now, understanding that it is not like any other book. And unless you give us eyes to see, Lord, we can't understand. So Lord, by your spirit, would you please speak to us now and help us to walk in your ways that we might glorify you in our lives. We pray it in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Verse 22, are you there? Chapter 21, verse 22, follow along with me as I read. And it came to pass at that time, at what time? At about the same time that Isaac was being weaned, we know that happens at three years old, uh, so we know that Abram is now about 30 years into his walk with God now. Uh, and it came to pass at that time that Abimelech, he's the king of Gerar, the Philistine king, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army. Phicol, by the way, is a title, like general. Uh, he's the commander of the, the Philistine army. Abimelech and Phicol, uh, the commander of his army, spoke to Abraham. Now, when you see the king and the general of the army coming, what might you think? Might, might have problems, right? Might have problems. And they spoke to Abraham, and notice what they said. God is with you in all that you do. Now, therefore, swear to me by God 
that you will not deal falsely with me, with my offspring, or with my posterity, but that according to the kindness that I have done to you, you will do to me in the land which you dwell. Uh, Abraham, I see that God is with you. Now promise you won't deal false with me, falsely with me. Promise you won't lie to me as you lied to me in the past. Because I know you to be a liar. And he's interesting, interesting conversation. And look at verse 24. Abram says, and Abram said, I will swear. I'll make this treaty with you. I'll make this agreement with you. And Abraham rebuked Abimelech because of a well of water that Abimelech, Abimelech's servants had seized. Uh, water was super important in that day. Abram had dug a well and Abimelech's servants had come and taken the well under force. And uh, Abraham is saying, hey, you know, he's bringing that up. Verse 26. And Abimelech said, I, I do not know who has done this thing. You did not tell me, nor had I heard of it until today. So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech. And the two of them made a covenant. Uh, what is that? Uh, they took sheep and oxen, and the two of them made a covenant. If you've been with us, we looked at this previously when God made a covenant with Abram. Uh, it was a standard practice in that day. It was called a suzerain treaty. And what you would do, two kings would take animals. In this case, Abraham provided the animals, and you would slaughter the animals. And you would place them down an aisle on each side of the aisle. So there'd be a half of a dead animal here and half of a dead animal here. Half of a dead animal here, no offense, and half of a dead animal here. And the two kings would then slaughter those animals and they would make this agreement and then they would walk through these pieces together. And that's like saying, it's like a handshake. It's like saying, hey, if I don't keep my end of the deal, I'll be a dead man. And if you don't keep your end of the deal, what will you be? A dead man. And so Abraham makes this treaty, makes this covenant with Abimelech. And they both agree. And they walk through the, the pieces together. And so uh, here we see some interesting things that are going on here. Let's, let's look at what's happening here. Uh, we, we, we remember... Abraham's last encounter with, with um, Abimelech, and it was not good. He came in, he had lied, he had brought a plague on the entire place. And we learn something from this. Uh, here, Abimelech is now coming to Abraham, and he wants to make a treaty with him. And we learn something from this. We learn that you can have a significant failure in life and still be a powerful witness for God. And I tell you what, that is really good news for us to consider. Abraham had sinned big time. And uh, the good news is, is that the character of his life spoke louder than his failure. Abraham and Sarai walked with God. And they had character. And uh, they were people of substance. And no doubt that Abimelech has been watching them since they left his, his town. And he's been talking to his people. 
and uh, the people that he talked with, and you know, the leaders in his in in his in his uh, kingdom were going, "Hey, you know, I know they lied to you, but you know, they were really good people, and they had integrity, and they." And I'm kind of surprised he. And he saw this about him. Now he's seeing Abraham prosper and he's seeing him grow and he's seeing his land increase and he's, he's seeing this good hand on him. And he says, Abraham, I clearly see that God is with you in all that you do. Very interesting. Very interesting. I want you to know that our failures do not, uh, don't define us. Our failures do not define us. We are defined by our daily walk with Jesus Christ. And that is really good news. Maybe you have blown it in something. Maybe you have failed in something. I want you to know your failures don't define you. Get back on track and walk faithfully with God and God will redeem your failure. You will be defined by your walk with God, not by your failure. And we see this all through scripture. Peter was an apostle of Jesus, right? A disciple of Jesus, one of the 12. And Peter thought pretty highly of himself. He loved Jesus. He loved Jesus so much that he thought he would do anything for Jesus. So when Jesus told him, hey, you guys, I'm going to go to the cross and you guys are going to deny me. Peter said, not me. I know all of you might deny Jesus. But I will never deny Jesus. I know these other 11 knuckleheads might deny you, Jesus. I never will. And Jesus said, Peter, before the rooster crows three times, you will have denied me three times. And Peter, in his heart, thought, no way, Jose. Sure enough, Jesus is arrested. Disciples get scared. All of them scatter. Peter follows from afar and under the slightest bit of persecution Peter denies Jesus three times something powerful happens after he denies him the third time the Bible tells us what happened the rooster crowed and one of the gospels tells us when the rooster crowed Peter looked up and made eye contact with Jesus can you imagine how painful that was? He looks over at Jesus, who's being whipped and beaten, bruised, eyes swollen, and Peter hasn't even been touched. And Jesus has been faithful, and he's denied him three times. Wow. And the Bible tells us that Peter goes off and weeps bitterly. And when Jesus resurrected the angel came and met the disciples and they said, go and tell the disciples and Peter that Jesus wants to meet with them. And Jesus meets with Peter and he restores Peter and he brings him back. And Peter was not defined by his failure. Peter was defined by his ongoing walk with Jesus. <clears throat> so much so that at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit falls upon the church and others begin to mock. And Peter stands up and says, men and brethren, these men are not drunk as you suppose. This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. This is the Holy Spirit coming upon, the gift of the Holy Spirit coming upon the church. 
And Peter preaches, and 3,000 were saved that day. Wow, just incredible. You see, our failures don't define us. It's our ongoing walk with Jesus Christ that defines us. And there are a myriad of examples we could use in the scripture, right? We could talk about John Mark, young John Mark. Do you remember him? Who Paul, the apostle Paul, had taken with him on his first missionary journey. And that first missionary journey was difficult. It was filled with hardship. There was demonic oppression against them. And they had gone into Cyprus, and it had been a battle, and there were very few converts. It wasn't very fruitful. And young John Mark, what happens to him? He gets discouraged. He gets weary, and he says, I want to go home. This is too hard. Ministry is too hard. And he leaves Paul. He abandons Paul, and he runs back to the comforts of home. Just a young man. Paul finishes his journey, comes back, takes a short rest, and then starts a second missionary journey. And he brings Barnabas with him, and Barnabas says, hey, let's bring John Mark. Let's disciple him. He's a good young man. And what does Paul say? No way, Jose, not in a million years. That guy can't handle it. He bailed when it was tough. I don't want him on the team. Interesting. Paul remembered his failure, didn't want him on the team. But something interesting happens at the end of Paul's life. Paul is now in prison. Demas has forsaken Paul. Paul knows his life is short. Paul knows his days are few. Paul knows he's going to be beheaded very soon. And he calls for somebody. Guess who he calls for? He calls for John Mark. Look at this verse in 2 Timothy. This is 2 Timothy chapter 4. Uh, let me hear you read this. And uh, get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me in ministry. Wow. Our failures do not define us, but our ongoing walk with Jesus Christ does. Abraham had lied. Uh, and you know what? You can have a significant failure and still be a powerful witness. I could give you a bunch of examples, but I think you get the point. By the way, not only did Paul ask for John Mark at the end of his life to come and to help him in ministry, but Jesus also used uh, little John Mark for what? To write the book of Mark that you hold in your Bible, that you hold in your hand. Uh, uh, our failures don't define us. Our ongoing walk with Jesus does. And so, incredible to see. Uh, I want you to know, if a past sin has damaged you, if a past sin has put a scar on you, it's not the end of the story. If a past sin has damaged a relationship in your life, I want you to know, it's not the end of the story. You are not defined by your failures. You're defined by your walk with God. Press on. Keep walking with Jesus. Keep doing the right things. And in due time... Your deeds, your character, what God is building in you will stand out louder than your failure did. And those that you have wronged will say, like Abimelech, I can see that God is with you in all that you do. What a cool thing. What a cool thing that God has done in Abraham's life. And here, uh, I want to move us on. I want to look at something. Here we get a king's lesson on leadership and on relationships. 
It'd be good for us to pay attention. This is a king's lesson on relationships. We learn something from Abimelech here. What did Abimelech do? Who came to who? Abimelech came to Abraham. Interesting. And he says, Abraham, I want to have a relationship with you. I see that God's hand is with you. And we get a king's lesson on relationships here. In relationships, be proactive, not reactive. We are prone to be reactive by nature in our relationships. Oh, he said that to me? Oh, yeah, well, I'm going to. And I can't believe they did that. And I can't believe. And I'm. Oh, <laughs> Right? And what are we doing when we do those things? We're reacting. Here's a king's tip. In relationships, be proactive, not reactive. Well, I'm not talking to that neighbor. After what they did two years ago at Christmas, when they complained about my Christmas lights, really? Really? Be proactive, not reactive. Abimelech is wise here. He takes the high road. He sees Abraham's character. He sees Abraham's company growing stronger and stronger, getting more and more powerful. He sees the wisdom that they possess. He sees that God is with him. And he says, you know what? I want a good relationship with that guy. There are things that I see that are valuable in him. I want to have a good relationship with him. And Abimelech initiates this peace and this friendship. Uh, and that's very wise to do. Notice something here. Uh, Abimelech did not wait until he was in trouble to restore the relationship. Abimelech, Abimelech did not wait until uh, he needed something from Abraham. He didn't wait until there was a problem to fix. He was proactive in restoring this relationship. Relationships are valuable. And it, would, it, is, you know, it is a king's wisdom to put a lot of uh, care and emphasis on the relationships that we have. It is wise to esteem relationships as valuable and to put effort into them. Abimelech takes the high road and he looks past Abraham's fault and he sees the whole person of who Abram is. And he says, you know what? I'm in. I, I want to know this guy. Uh, far better to be proactive than reactive. Uh, it's easy, isn't it? To allow distance and resentment to creep in to relationships. Isn't that easy to have happen? Uh, Thanksgiving is coming very quickly. Christmas is coming very quickly. Why not be proactive? Why not now be proactive in that strained relationship that you have in that extended family member? Why not shoot a text now or shoot a call now or send a card now or invite to lunch now or have coffee together now? Why not do it now? Why not take that neighbor who complained about your Christmas lights two years ago and just be proactive and take the initiative? Uh, let's learn from this passage. Let's learn from Abimelech. Let's, let's, let's walk like that, man. Uh, I know you probably have some colleagues or some friends or some neighbors or some people in your school or some people at your work. I would encourage you, live like a king, 
Uh, be proactive. Leaders are proactive in relationships, not reactive. Can I tell you something that God wants for you? God wants you to be the head and not the tail. That is a, a theme that is re repeated frequently in Deuteronomy. You're to be the head and not the tail. What does it mean? Let me hear from you. What does that mean? Ah, really good. Uh, lead, don't follow. Be a giver, not a taker. Be one who initiates, not one who retaliates. Be the head and not the tail. Jesus said it the exact same way. He said it is better to, what? Give than to receive. Jesus is saying be the head, not the tail. Uh, when you get home, if you don't know how this works, just watch your dog. The head leads the tail, right? That's how it works. Be the head, not the tail. Uh, now, in order to do that, it requires some things. Do you know what it requires? It requires knowing God's ways. It requires knowing God's commandments. To lead, to be the head, requires some wisdom. And for that, God has given you a plethora. God has given you an abundance. His word is profound. And his commandments instructs us. They are a light unto our feet and a lamp unto our path. We come to church every Sunday with our Bibles in hand and God is pouring into us wisdom and discernment and insight so that we can walk successfully through this path of life. Look how God spoke to the nation Israel in the book of Deuteronomy on this subject. Uh, look at this verse for me. This is Deuteronomy 28. Uh, let me hear you read this in a loud thundering voice. And the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. You shall be above only and not beneath. If you heed the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today and are careful to observe them. Wow. Hey, listen, I am giving you amazing commandments. They are full of wisdom. They will guide you. And if you walk in them, the result will be you will be the head, not the tail. I, this is how I want to use your life. Another verse in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 4, uh, much the same. Let me hear you read this. Surely I have taught you statutes and judgments just as the Lord my God commanded me that you should act according to them in the land which you go to possess. Uh, let's pause there a second. This is not an academic exercise. We're not reading the Bible for giggles. We're reading the Bible to know God, for him to impart his wisdom. He's a good father. He's instructing us as his children, and we take on his ways, and we learn of him. That's exactly what Jesus said. Take on my ways and learn of me, for I am lowly and meek of heart, and you will find rest for your souls, right? Uh, this is what he wants. He says, now listen, I've taught you these things so that you should, read that, read that with me, so that you should what? Act according to them in the land which you go to possess. Uh, let's go on, rest of the verse. Therefore, be careful to observe them, for this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of all peoples who will hear these statutes and say, surely this is a great nation 
excuse me, surely this great nation is wise and an understanding people. For what great nation is there that has God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us that for whatever reason we may call upon him? Wow. How amazing that we have God so close with us that as he is teaching us his statutes and his precepts and he tells us, hey, forgive your brother. You say, Lord, I don't know if I can forgive him, man. They really bothered me. And we can bring that before him. And he says, and I'll hear you and I'll enable you and I'll give you the strength to do it. What people is this as God so close to them that they instructs them how to be a better employee at work, a better owner of a company, a better wife to a husband, a better husband to a wife, a better father to a child. What people is this as God's instruction so rich, so nigh that they can call upon him and he will lead, guide, and direct them into all truth all the time. And Abraham is walking in that. And you know what happens? Abimelech, the king of the Philistine town of Gerar, says, I see that. I see that God is with you. I want to know you. Be the head and not the tail. In relationships, be proactive, not reactive. This is God's will. And it is so easy to be reactive. But God says, hey, no, no, instead, look ahead. Kings do, by the way. They look ahead. And so may we quit going tit for tat. Well, she said this to me. I can't believe she said this to me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to unfriend her. <laughs> oh, there's that guy at work. I'm going to go this way. I don't want I don't, I don't to walk over there. Hey, that's not a good way to go through life. And instead of going tit for tat, see the bigger picture, take the higher road, forgive, show unmerited kindness, value relationships. Do you know why? Because relationships build our future. I am so thankful for the relationships I have in my life. I'm so thankful that if I am in trouble, I can call Ryan and Pam and say, hey, Ryan, Pam, need some help. I'm so thankful that I've got Gary and Maggie as friends in my life. I'm so thankful that there's these relations. They're the, they make life amazing. Take the high road. See bigger and value these things. Uh, being selfishness, excuse me, being selfish causes us to be so short-sighted. Abimelech could have easily said that, that Abraham's a liar. I don't even know why God's blessing him. I don't want anything to do with him. Would that be easy to do? Super easy to do. And some of us are like that. But I want you to know something. We're only hurting ourselves. If you have someone in your life that you've cut off because you think, oh, they did this to me. I want you to know you're playing the role of a fool. And be the head and not the tail. Why are you holding on to such trivial things? There's an interesting verse in the Bible. It's very wise. It says women, but I want you to know it has a broader uh, range than that. Um, Proverbs 14, uh, on your screen. Uh, let me hear you read this, church. The wise woman builds her house, but the foolish pulls it down with her own hands. Have you ever seen this? I have. A woman who has everything. She's got a marriage. She's got children. She's got family. She's got a nice house. And she's tearing it apart limb by limb. 
Oh, not literally the house, but there's broken relationships and strain this. And I'm not talking to this person. And I'm not talking to that person. Why, why are you doing this to yourself? This is your life. Far better to take the high road. Far better to offer grace and forgiveness. Moses wrote a psalm. Did you know that? Moses wrote a psalm. Psalm 90. And in Psalm 90, Moses would write this. He would say, Lord, teach me to number my days that I might obtain, what, if you know it, a heart of wisdom. A heart of wisdom. You see, my flesh wants to go tit for tat and have a broken relationship and get them for what they did to me. That's my flesh. Teach me to number my days. Life is short. You have a lot that you want to accomplish in my life, Lord. Help me to walk with wisdom that I might acquire all that you have for me. Do you know God wants to expand your territory? Do you know God wants you to not have enemies, but to have uh, relationships with those who had, had once been your enemy? Uh, this is God's will. And so it's wise to look at the bigger picture and to build for our future. Abimelech is a king who is doing this very thing. And there's a reason Abimelech is a king. Because he's proactive, not reactive. And he's taking that step. Now, it's interesting that we learn something from Abraham about relationships in this story as well. Did you see it? Uh, we learn something very wise from Abraham about relationships. In relationships, it is wise to wait for the right time to address a problem. Did you see it? Abimelech comes to Abraham and he says, Hey, I see that the Lord is with you in all that you do. Let's make a treaty. And Abraham says, You got it. I swear, I'll make a treaty with you. But, before we do, I'd like to talk to you about this well. Very wise. Let me ask you, how long had this well been a problem in Abraham's life? How long? Quite a while. Quite a while. I mean, Abraham dug this well. A well was super important in that day. It'd be like owning a gas station today, right? I mean, it's like, soup, we need gas, right? Super important. Uh, and, and Abimelech guys took over this well, put guards around it. Abraham couldn't use it. This had been going on for a while. But Abraham did not retaliate. Abraham did not complain or confront. Instead, he waited patiently for the right time to address the problem. And that is very wise. I don't know about you, but I struggle with this one. When someone wrongs me, when someone steps on my toe, when someone bumps me the wrong way, I like to go, hey, don't you step on my toe, right? Right? Like, and it is easy for me to do it in my time instead of what? Instead of the right time. And it's a wise man who waits until the right time to deal with something. All too often, I blurt it out, uh, Abraham, uh, he waits. He waits. 
Abraham knew that because of the strain he had put on this relationship with Abimelech, it was best to wait for the right time to deal with this hardship, and he waits. Uh, I find it also very interesting. Uh, Abram does something else here. Uh, Abram says, hey, uh, about this well that you guys seized from me. And what was Abimelech's answer in verse 26? Did you see it? What does Abimelech say? I didn't know anything about that. Well, that's interesting, Abimelech, because you got your guards guarding that thing 24-7. You put soldiers down there. I'm pretty sure you knew something about it. Abraham doesn't go down that road. Instead, he keeps his focus on what really matters. What really matters? This relationship and moving forward. So often we lose forward momentum by arguing about minutia that doesn't even matter. Really common in a husband and wife relationship. You're arguing about the glass that was put on the wrong shelf? Really? And that's keeping you from making love tonight? Are you kidding me? How foolish does that sound? Really foolish. Because it is. And yet we do it. And we argue about minutiae instead of just keeping our eyes focused on the things that really matter. How many times have you been in an argument and you forgot even what you were arguing about? You are now arguing about really ridiculous things that don't even matter. Uh, we, we've all done it, right? And Abraham doesn't do that here. Uh, uh, he lets it go. And he doesn't say, Abimelech, I don't think so. I think you knew. Here's the question. How does he do that? How does Abraham just let it go right here? How does he have the wisdom and the fortitude and the discernment to say, I'm not even going to go there? How does he do it? Well, Jesus said, when someone slaps you on the right cheek, what should you do? Give them the left cheek also. Well, that doesn't sound very good. I don't want to do that. Why would I do that? Well, because you have a better goal in mind. You're moving forward to something. Jesus also said, why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye when you have a what? A log in your own eye. Loose paraphrase. Why are you so concerning about the sawdust in your brother's eye when you have a telephone pole in your eye. <laughs> First remove the telephone pole in your eye and then you'll be able to help your brother more clearly. That's what Abraham does. Abimelech lies to Abraham. Didn't know anything about that. And Abraham goes, I've lied to you. Not that big a deal. I know, I understand. Not that big a deal. I'm going to stay focused on what really matters. Super important. Super important. And uh, we, we hold on to these things, right? We, 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 we take this wisdom from the Bible. Um, here we see that uh, he waits for the right time to deal with this problem. Um, and I realized as I was 
you know, preparing for the message, studying, I realized, well, there's another group that I have to talk to in here today. Uh, uh, some of you have no problem uh, dealing with conflict, and it might be hard for you to wait for the right time for it, but you have no problem dealing with conflict. But some of you are procrastinators. And I want you to know there's a big difference between procrastinating and waiting for the right time to deal with a conflict, Right? The procrastinator never wants to deal with a conflict. He avoids conflict at all costs. I call you a sweeper. What do you do with conflict? Well, you sweep it and you find a rug and you lift up that rug and you sweep it under the rug and you put the rug down and you pretend it's not there, right? Uh, when Lisa and I first got married 36 years ago, my wife was a sweeper. I'm not, if you can't tell. Uh, and and uh, it drove me crazy, right? Baby, I want to talk about these things. Uh, she just wanted to sweep them under the rug. Um, if you sweep it under the rug, what happens to the rug? A little bump. You can handle a little bump, but then you sweep more under there. What happens? Right? And then more. And pretty soon you got this big honking mound, right? And then pretty soon you step on it, and what happens? It all comes out. It all comes out. And it is dangerous. It is dangerous. Do not be a sweeper. I want you to know, avoiding conflict only increases tomorrow's pain. Avoiding conflict only increases tomorrow's pain. Uh, there are two kinds of people. Uh, the Bible talks about those who are uh, wild men, right? They're like a madman with a flamethrower. And they go about just, you know, venting all of their feelings and just like, Wah! and then when they're done, they go, I feel better. They just vent all of their anger. You know, they're impulsive. They don't wait for the right time to deal with something. They feel a problem and they just vent. The Bible says they're like a madman throwing firebrands, right? Uh, yeah, you feel better, but you burned up the entire forest. Everything else is scorched. You're now living in a scorched earth because of your, I'm glad you feel better, right? That's dangerous. But can I tell you something? The sweeper or the procrastinator is every bit as dangerous, just not as obvious. Every bit as dangerous, just not as obvious. And so be wise. Be wise. Don't be a sweeper. Notice what Abraham does. He waits for the right time. He's been patient. He's been waiting for this moment. Abimelech comes to him and says, hey, I want to make a deal with you. He says, I'd love to make a deal with you. But hey, I'd like to talk with you about something. We got something we need to, we got something we need to clear up. And he did not just sweep it under the rug, and he dealt with it. Very, very wise. The procrastinator likes to put it off forever. And uh, if I haven't drilled home the point enough, I've got another verse I'd like to give you. Uh, this is Proverbs 26. Uh, let me hear you read this. The lazy man says, there's a lion in the road. A fierce lion is in the streets. Do you understand? Do you understand what that means? The lazy man says, there's a lion in the street. Can't go to work today. The lazy man says, there's a lion in the street. 
Can't mow the lawn and pull the weeds today. There's always a reason to put it off. There's always a problem on why we can't do it. The industrious man sees the lion in the street and says, no big deal, I'll go out the back door and take the other road to my, to, to my work today. And he goes to work. In other words, it's just an excuse. It's just an excuse. Don't be the lazy man in relationships. Take the high road. Uh, deal with things in the proper time. Uh, super important. Don't let apathy and procrastination rob you. Avoiding conflict only increases tomorrow's pain. So may we hold on to that. I want to move us on a little bit further. I want to cover more ground. Uh, <clears throat> we're going to see Abraham does something interesting here as we look at verse 28. Um, and uh, uh, here's the point. I'm going to give you the point even before we read it. In relationships, give generously and go the extra mile to communicate clearly. Abraham's going to do that here. Uh, uh, let me hear you read the screen for me, if you will. I want, I want to get this in your head, in your heart. I want you thinking on this before we read the text. Read it with me. In relationships, watch how Abraham does that. Take a look at verse 28. So they've already made this covenant, right? They've already made this covenant, and they've already walked through the pieces. They've already made the deal. It's time for Abimelech now to go home, right? Verse 28. And Abraham says, hey, wait, 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 wait a minute. Verse 28. And Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock by themselves. And Abimelech asked Abraham, what is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs, which you have set by themselves? Hey, those are some nice looking ewe lambs. What are they for? A ewe lamb, by the way, is a young female sheep of about a year old. It's in its prime, right? Like it's beautiful, it's no defects, it's not limping, it's not broken, it's perfect, right? And, and Abraham says, hey, I want you to have these seven perfect ewe lambs. And Abimelech says, what are these all about? Verse 30, and he said, you will take these seven ewe lambs from my hand and they, that they may be a witness that I have done this well. Therefore, he called the place Beersheba because the two swore an oath there. Beersheba means uh, oath. Uh, and uh, thus they made a, a covenant at Beersheba. So Abimelech arose with Phicol and the commander of the army and they returned to the land of the Philistines. Here we see that Abraham gives generously and he goes the extra mile to communicate clearly. What is Abraham doing? Well, he knows the significance of this matter. He knows how important that well is. He knows that in the future, it might be a temptation for Abimelech to say, that was, that was my well. Uh, and so he communicates extra clear here. He says, I want you to take these seven ewe lambs and notice the word, you might want to underline it in your Bible, as a witness of our agreement here today. In other words, he puts it in writing. In other words, he communicates very clearly and generously and makes it very plain. I want you to know generosity with clear communication is wise. Generosity with clear communication builds healthy relationships. 
Generosity with clear communication builds relationships that can go the distance. And Abraham is very wise in what he does here. Have you ever come to terms with someone on something important? Only later after time passes, hear them say, oh, well, I didn't know that's what you meant. Have you ever had that happen to you? I didn't know you were talking about that. And you were like, what do you mean you don't know we were talking about that? What did you think we were talking about? Abraham is preventing that from happening here. Very wise. Very wise. After ratifying the covenant, Abraham goes a step further and he gives more to prevent future conflict. Super wise to do. And he did all of this simply to clearly communicate what was going on so there'd be no conflict between the future of these two parties and they'd be a good friends together. Let's uh, begin to wrap this up. Let's look at how this, how this chapter ends. <clears throat> We're in verse 33. Are you there? Then Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba. And there he called on the name of the Lord, on the name of Yahweh, the everlasting God. First time that word is used, the everlasting God. And Abraham stayed in the land of the Philistines many days. You want to know how many? At least 15 years he stays here. Perhaps 30 years he stays here. And when we read next week, when Abraham offers up Isaac, God tells him to offer up Isaac as a sacrifice, a passage that makes atheists crazy. How can you believe in a God who, oh, I want you to know, we're going to see some profound truths next week. Can't wait to get into that study with you. But look what he does here. Look what Abraham does here. Here, after this agreement is made, what does Abraham do? Abraham worships the everlasting God. The everlasting God? What does that mean? Well, this is a new name for God in Abraham's vocabulary. This is the name El Olam. El meaning God, Olam everlasting. Abraham now calls God the everlasting God. First mention of it here. Abraham already knew God as El Elyon, you'll remember that when we study back in, in Genesis 14, which means God most high. Abraham already knew God as El Shaddai, which means God Almighty. You'll remember we studied that. But now Abraham comes to a brand new understanding of who God is, God the everlasting God. Very interesting. What's going on here? Well, Abraham is realizing the eternal scope of God's work in his life. He's realizing what God is doing here on the big picture. I have a quote from Warren Wiersbe. Uh, let me read it to you. Warren Wiersbe says, Abraham's realizing that wells will disappear. Trees will be cut down. You lambs will grow and die. Altars will be built and will crumble and treaties will perish. But the everlasting God will remain forever. Wow, really good. Really good. Abram plants a tamarisk tree. And I would say, big deal. Why does the Bible tell us this? 
I am sure Abraham planted a lot of things over the last 30 years in his walk with God. Would you agree? I'm sure he planted wheat and corn and all kinds of things. Doesn't mention him planting anything. And now for some reason, it mentions that Abraham plants a tamarisk tree. Why? Why? Can I tell you why? Because it touched the heart of God. It touched the heart of God. You say, wow, I'd like to do that. I would too. Plant a tamarisk tree. <laughs> no, no, no. What, is, what, what, is it? what does it have to do with anything? Well, tamarisk trees grow very slowly. A tamarisk tree will only grow one to two inches in a year. Here's a picture of a tamarisk tree. That's what they look like. Guess how old this tamarisk tree is? 400 years old. It was a common saying in Abraham's culture. You don't plant a tamarisk tree for yourself. When you plant a tamarisk tree, you plant it for your great-grandchildren. Abram knew that tree wasn't for him to enjoy. Abram is realizing something. God, you are doing a work in my life for a long time to come. By planting a tamarisk tree, Abram is saying to God, God, I believe you, that this is my land for generations to come. Does Abram own the land now? Nope. Not even his. But he's saying, Lord, I believe that this land is mine and that you are giving it to me for generations to come and that the generations that come after me will be able to enjoy this tamarisk tree. I believe that my family will have descendants that have descendants that have descendants that will sit underneath this tree. And really awesome to consider Abraham worships the everlasting God and calls him the everlasting God. And I want you to know something. The proper worship of God provides a legacy to generations to come. The proper worship of God provides a legacy to generations to come. Can I tell you that is the highest act of worship that we could possibly have? After 30 years of walking with God, Abraham is still growing in his knowledge and awe of God. And this, of course, leads him to worshiping God in a brand new understanding of who God is. God, you are the everlasting God. You're doing a work in my life that is far bigger than anything I could have ever dreamed. I'm beginning to understand you more, Lord. And he worships the God, the everlasting God, and learns new things about God. How long has Abraham been walking with God? For 30-something years. And he's still learning about God. How about you? Oh, I hope that you are. I'm in awe at how I can open my Bible that I've studied now for 30-something years as well and almost every time still grow in new insights about who this God is. He's amazing. He is beyond comprehension. He is limitless. He is the infinite, almighty God. 
And Abraham now here just stands here and worships him and says, I want to plant a tamarisk tree because I want to leave a legacy to others. Let me ask you, what are you building in your life that will outlive you? What are you building in your life that you can leave as a legacy to others? Well, I want you to know if you walk with Jesus properly, you, your faith will do those things. And you can plant tamarisk trees for generations to come, and that is your highest act of worship. I am so blessed to see young men uh, that I had uh, been discipling years back who are now leaders in the church. I am so blessed to see my sons, my daughters, walking with wisdom and being leaders in the church. My son Ryan leads a young married mission group here at the church. He also is a leader in men's ministry on Tuesday nights. He also plays on the worship team. And I'm not bragging in, in, what, in, in, in what kind of father I am. I'm bragging in the faithfulness of God. This is nothing unique to me. You walk in God's ways and you will leave a legacy that will outlive you for others to follow. Abraham sees that here. He's worshiping the everlasting God, and he's blown away. I want to leave you. I'm going to ask the band to come up. I'm going to leave you with four super fast, super fast, this will take two minutes, four super uh, uh, fast points on how you can leave a legacy that will outlive you. Would you want that? Four super fast points on how you can leave a legacy that will outlive you. Uh, Four things. Number one, let your family hear and see you read your Bible. Let your family hear and see you read your Bible. You know why? Because this will reveal to them that you need God's direction and guidance in your life. That you need God's wisdom and, 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 and truths and promises and teachings to make it through your life. It will reveal to them that Jesus is the Lord of your life that he is the authority of your life, that you're not just running by the skin of your teeth. You're not just running by, with your tail on fire. No, you're actually looking to a higher authority. Jesus Christ is your Lord. He is your authority, and you're looking to his word. And when you have problems, you look to his word because his word is a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path, and it guides you. And it's more than an academic study. You actually use it in your vocabulary. You actually learn his ways. And when you're talking to your spouse, you actually say, well, yeah, honey, but uh, Jesus said, da, 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 and let's do this. And, and, and when you talk with your son and your daughter, you bring the profound truths and the wisdom that comes from God's word. Let your kids see you reading your Bible. So important. Number two, let your kids hear and see you praying. You know what? Life is hard, man. And it's only getting more difficult. It is full of challenges, full of lies and deceptions, full of desert places. And uh, show your family how you deal with life's trials, how you deal with all these things. Show your family that you know how to get out of the heat of life and the pressure of life. And you know how to come before a holy God who loves you and to cast all your care upon him because he cares for you so that you don't carry burdens that you're not supposed to carry. Show your family how you pray his word when you're uh, facing hardship so that you remember the right path to walk on. Show your family how you pray at mealtimes and you say, 
uh, guys, no, 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 turn the TV off. We worship a holy God. And get off the couch and put your phone down and come stand with me here. Let's hold hands and pray. And when you pray over a meal, don't pray the same rote prayer over and over and over. Rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub. Look out, belly, because here comes the nub. I don't know. Don't do that. Don't do that. Instead, model a living relationship with a living God that you speak to in your prayer. When you go on vacation, pray before you go. When you send them off to school, pray before they start their day. When they walk in the door, pray with them and say, Lord, thank you so much for keeping them safe at school today. Model for them that you talk to this living God and you cast your burdens on him and you will live, you will leave a legacy that will outlive you. Number three, bathe in Jesus' grace for you. Bathe in his grace. You're going to be a failure. You're going to stumble. You're going to lie. You're going to mess up. When Abraham lied to Abimelech, it was humiliating. A pagan king rebuking God's man, the man of the covenant. And all he could say was, I blew it. He's right. I'm a liar. And bathe in the grace of Jesus Christ. You see, when you bathe in the grace of Jesus Christ, you will not allow the enemy or your flesh to beat you up. And when you bathe in the grace of Jesus Christ, do you know what will happen? You will then give grace to others. When Abimelech comes and lies before you, you won't say, hey, you're lying. I know you're lying. You had, no, 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 you'll just go, I get it. And you'll just allow grace to flow and your relationships will be better for it. Bathe in the grace of Jesus Christ. His mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. I'm in awe of how much grace he pours into our lives. It's astonishing. And lastly, uh, these things are, are just, you know, they're, They're basic truths, but they're incredibly profound. The last one is simply this. Worship God wholeheartedly. Be in awe of God. Abraham would run into the tent and say, Sarah, he's the God God everlasting. I've been thinking about this, Sarah. I can't, can't believe what he's doing in our life for ages to come. And he would worship the God Almighty. He would say, kids, no, I know we can watch online, but we're not going to watch online. We're going to go to church because he worships God wholeheartedly. He puts him first in all that he does. He puts him first in everything he touches. He says, no, no, we're taking time out for God because he is worthy of all of our praise. And if we do these things, they're not complex, but they are profound We will leave tamarisk trees for generations to come, all to the glory of God. You may freely share this message with others as long as you don't charge for it. Support for these broadcasts comes from your generous donations that allow us to give away our materials for free. To participate with us, please visit our website at themissionchurch.net. God bless.